Hello, and welcome to episode two of When You Give the Queers a Mic, and we are really happy to be here. I am Cassia. And I am Avi, and we're going to be doing more than just introducing ourselves this week. Hooray! Organized a little better, hopefully, and it's going to be an actual discussion that we're not overly anxious about, oh god, what if we say something bad about ourselves? (laughs) So, um... Would you like to introduce what we are talking about? So we are talking about a different way to look at the transgender nurture versus nature topic, which is more, was it like, were you born with it or was it something that trauma gave birth to kind of thing? Yeah, it's not the same kind of thing that the conservatives look at where it's kind of like, oh, were you born with it? Or was it created and influenced by outside sources? It's not that kind of nurture. And nature versus nurture is a big thing in psychology. Um, and that's the whole premise around it is, was it created in utero when you were developing? Was it created because of genetics from you? Or is it something that formed later on? And we're going to be taking a very different look at that today. Which hasn't really been talked about before. We have searched far, we have searched wide, we haven't really found anything on it. Yep, and just before we get into it, uh, trigger warning, there is going to be talk about different types of trauma, there's going to be talk about gender dysphoria, about being trans, Um, So those are a few different topics we're going to be touching on, and I absolutely do not want anyone to get triggered. So if that is a possibility and that sounds off, please read through the transcript instead of actually listening. Read through the transcript, and if you know that this is going to set you off and put you in a bad place, come back and join us in episode three. It will hopefully be a lighter topic. Yes, I I agree. I think we will probably be posting a much lighter topic next week. <laughs> kind of balance it out a little from, exactly. we're not going to be talking about anything dark and depressing, episode two. So this is an interesting topic. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, there will also be the blog post getting released tomorrow. I'm going me talking about how to safely size queen slash king so that'll be a much happier topic and we will hopefully be reviewing the met gala in a couple of days but no promises because i'm still trying to figure out how youtube works exactly so that is something if we do get down it will be happening on saturday or sunday fingers crossed amen anyways enough of the updates let's really get into this topic So um, I think we can all agree most of the trans people that we meet, whether they're MTF, FTM, whether they're somewhere along the spectrum of androgynous or non-binary, most of the time the general aspect is that they say that there was always something different about them. We were born this way. Exactly. Who said that? Which in the song? You know, I was born this Uh, way. Lady Gaga. As Lady Gaga said, bless the queen. So, um, like, there have been a lot of people that I've met. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness is a huge inspiration of mine, and he talks about in his autobiography, Over the Top, not, like, in any way is it supporting us, but please go support him. Please, he's amazing. Read his autobiography. It's so good. It does have some triggering points in it. Once again, so be careful of that. He does warn you beforehand by placing a nice little... uh, essay from third grade about the Clintons uh, in the middle of it, right before it. quite an interesting 
It's like yes. little topics which are there for him to do. Exactly. He's like, and now here is an essay that I wrote about the Clinton sex scandal for <laughs> third grade. Yeah. And that's how he warns you that there's going to be some triggering moments. Um, we don't deserve him. <laughs> honestly. We really don't. But in his autobiography, he talks about how as a child he used to want to be one of the hot beach moms at the pool and how he loved wearing dresses he would do his makeup like all that kind of stuff and his parents were totally fine with it his mom was like yeah this is totally cool his dad definitely took a lot longer to accept it his stepdad was all for it whatever own your femininity honestly um but that's a really good um, definition of it. Lots of trans women say that they used to absolutely love wearing dresses, doing makeup with their sisters, playing dress up, all that kind of stuff. There are lots of trans men who are like, yeah, I didn't like wearing dresses. I didn't like having long hair. It was something that always existed within them. Um, I personally never had that. And this is a big reason why we're doing this podcast is because I think I am... I don't know if you agree with this, but I think I'm the only person that we know that is like, yeah, I was a normal cisgender child growing up. Most of my friend group, I'm gonna be honest with you, I know like two cis heteronormative people. Everyone mm -hmm. else is somewhere under the rainbow. Yeah. And out of the large, like the, most of the swaths of my friends are somewhere in the trans community. Yeah. And all of them say that there was always something even if they didn't recognize it then once they figured it out they were like ah there were the signs yep. bright flags right there yeah yeah whereas i didn't have that so i grew up a very girly girl i loved dresses i adored my long hair um i tried really hard to be friends with girls like everything about being girls i adored I love doing it. I actually only owned two pairs of pants because I hated wearing them. Like, I despised wearing pants. Which blows my mind because I, as a child, slept in jeans because they were yeah. so comfy. Yeah, I only owned skirts and skorts and uh, dresses. Even my pajamas, I would only wear night dresses. I didn't actually own any pajamas that had pants with them until I was about eight. That's insanity. Yeah, so I loved being a girl, loved having the pink room, loved being a princess, like very, very feminine, the epitome of I am a feminine child. Um, and at four years old though, I started being sexually assaulted and that went on until I was 13. And at about 11, something clicked in my mind and I started kind of going away from that femininity. I started dressing a lot more masculine. I started cutting my hair and I started having those really euphoric moments whenever I dressed more masculine. And those euphoric moments just continued to happen until when I was 15, I dressed as a male biker for Halloween and it was just huge euphoria bomb. But the thing is, I didn't have any signs of being trans until one day my brain went, okay, no, there's been too much trauma, there's been too many people that have hurt me because of me being a girl, it's not safe to be a girl anymore. And even now when people call me she, her, or call me a girl, it sometimes is really triggering for me because that's just something that 
really bothered me at the time, and it's a big reason of why I'm trans now. And so that's kind of what we're trying to explain between, like, the idea of born-born being trans and then trauma-born being trans, because everyone I know, their stories, it's always, we should have seen this coming. Mm -hmm. There was always something like this. I was always a little off. And then with you, you were perfectly, like, just cisgender, normative, and then all of a sudden your brain went, actually, this isn't a good idea anymore, and this is how we fix it. Ta-da! Problem solved. Exactly, which raises a question, and it, it amazes me that more studies haven't gone into the genetics of trans people um, on either side. Like, you would think that if the conservatives, like, the conservative side or the right-wing side really wanted to stop it or prevent it or, like, try and reverse it, you would think there would be more studies into it. Which sounds really horrible, but there could be really good information from that, because like you were explaining to me with schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. you have to have the genes for it. Would you mind going a little bit more into that, because I cannot cover it. So, um, with schizophrenia, which I'm not saying that being trans is a mental disorder, it's just, it's an interesting comparative thing when it comes to the genetics behind it. With schizophrenia, there is a set of seven genetic um, pieces that you have to have in order to have schizophrenia. Now, when you have those seven genetics, you have to have all seven. Um, When you have those, you are born with them, but they lay dormant. That means they're not active. It means you are not born with active schizophrenia, which is a big reason why it isn't diagnosed until later in life, because schizophrenia does not actually become active until you go through a traumatic event. Now, the chemicals that are released in your brain once that traumatic event hits and it's trying to cope with it and you get that big surge of PTSD activates those seven genetic components and therefore activates your schizophrenia. Which brings to the idea of trauma-born trans is do you have to have a set of genetics Mm -hmm. to be trans and there's people who can just lay dormant their entire lives and then with trauma-born trans something very traumatic happens and your brain activates those genes as like a safety mechanism yeah but that would also raise the question of if this is all going to be a bunch of theories by the way none of this is set in stone none of this is us saying this is exactly how it is this is just ideas and bullshitting and a lot of weird research that has been done in like the last seven days yeah yeah and it's just a bunch of opinions that i feel like if we had the utensils and the time and i feel like if we talk to someone later on too about this it would be a really good basis to start doing studies off of because there really are not a lot of studies there's a lot of studies into um whether trans children are any different from cisgender children. There was a big study done on 130 kids from the ages 3 to 12, and they were all trans kids. They also did it on the same size group of cisgender kids and the same size group as non-binary kids. And so they did these studies on them and figured out that if you take all of these children who they were all from higher uh, economic status, they were all in very healthy families, they were all very accepted in whatever position they were it in. It was definitely a biased 
yes. test. And um, what was the name of the, the woman who did that? I can't remember. Oh, man. I cannot remember either. We will put it in the podcast post when we do that. Yes, but when she did it, once she finished the test and stuff, she 100% admitted that it was very... Biased. biased and was only set for that certain type of yeah. group and that results would differ when you take in things like economic classes not accepting families race white uh predominated test uh, test and so but she did those studies and found that trans children who identify with the gender different from what they were born as identified no less than a cisgendered kid did. There were no differences when it came to how much they identified with that gender or how much they agreed that that gender was theirs. So the trans girl and the cis girl as children were both like, yep, we girl, on the exact same level. Yeah, and so that was, as much as it seems like an obvious thing, that was a huge breakthrough in the psychological and the medical community because it was basically them going, hey, if you're scared that when your child comes out as trans at six years old that helping them transition is going to screw them up, they know what they're doing. They know who they are that's not influenced by anything. And all of those children, as they got older, they followed them and they would keep up with the families and they would ask the same questions every single year. And as they followed them, uh, none of that changed. In short, trans kids are just as sure of themselves, like as sure as themselves of themselves. Sorry, I can't speak English today. As cis kids, exactly. Gender is something that everybody knows, even if one day it changes into what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and so that was a huge study done, and that was actually the only study that I could really find. Everything else was studies on how sex is created. So with that, um, a girl is two X chromosomes. You get one from each parent. Um, So women can only provide an X chromosome. Men, so each sperm carries either an X chromosome or a Y chromosome, and that determines if you're a boy or a girl. Um, A girl is two X chromosomes, and, uh, and a boy is an XY chromosome. And the only other studies that I could find into the genetics of trans people was looking more into the uh, male, female, and the hermaphrodite side of it all. The chromosome, genitalia, that kind yeah, of side exactly. of it. So there are some that can have two X's and a Y. There are some that can have two X's with a piece of a Y. And all that that determines is how they biologically look. Um, but that does not determine gender identity. So that is a big piece of what we were searching for and there's just not any studies done on it. And so right now this entire podcast is going to be basically about uh, the opinions and the studies that could be done and the areas that should be looked into. And it's kind of a big deal because it lets us know how trans people work and the more that we know about transgender people the more that we can assure cisgender people who don't agree with them that there's nothing wrong with them we can tell them what does make them different and explain to them why that's not dangerous or if we can prove that it's biologically 
predisposed. Because that is so much of their argument. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes, a lot of people argue that there's more trans people now because of media or because of the presence in the climate of America, in the normal modern climate that we have built, that more people are becoming trans because it's the thing, it's the fad. It's the trendy. It's exactly. The where, thing the young kids do. Whereas if, if you can do a study that proves that being trans is a biological aspect, that would go, hey, just so you know, they're actually predisposed to this, like depression, like bipolar, like, um, like EDS. Um, like having blue eyes. There's a biological factor to this. There is no controlling this, and it's safe. It's okay. And I think that would also, this is going to sound really stupid, and I know with some of them, their argument against being LGBTQ and specifically being somewhere under the trans umbrella, mm -hmm. sometimes purely spends, that's... Stems. Stems, thank mm -hmm. you. Purely stems from hatred. But with yeah. some people... Honestly, they're just scared. Yes. And they're confused. Yeah. And because of being scared and confused, what does any animal, its primal instinct, you really dislike it and you go 100% against it. Exactly. And I think if we could go into it more that, like, genetically, mm -hmm. this is why, that it would take some of that away. Yeah. And that the mass that is against us would become smaller yes. in more ways than one. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think that's another reason to kind of look into how, how big of a thing is it for trans people to become a thing through trauma. Because the amount of trauma that the trans community faces, especially during their childhood, um, like over half of the trans community will think of killing themselves. Uh, one in 10 of the trans community will succeed in doing it. Um, the numbers on sexual assault are and childhood sexual assault. Insane. Exactly, are just a ridiculous number. And the numbers on how many trans people will uh, act out in underage prostitution underage sex acts, underage pornography distribution. Um, and that also goes to show that like a big portion of how we display the trans community is sexually too. I mean, the amount of porn that exists that is like trap porn. The fetish, the fetish, how do you? The fetish. The fetishization. The, yes. That's the word, ha ha, I thought of it. <laughs> Um, and so that really does not help with the trauma either because even if a kid grows up in a healthy household that is completely accepting, they go to look online and they see... You Google it, you go to videos, and that's what comes up. Exactly. Like, um, I was trying to help Cass draw a trans woman one day on a box and she was like, I look up trans woman and I can't find anything and she was drawing nude silhouettes. And a trans woman, her body is going to look different than a cisgender woman. It is. And that's not a bad thing. It's just part of the biological aspect of it. And they still look just as feminine as the others, but there are 
slight differences. And mm. honestly, I think that's what makes them more beautiful. Honestly. Like, but I she wanted to make choice. sure that she got as accurate as possible. And she was like, I just cannot find any pictures to go off of any nude models. And I was like, if you want to find nude transgender female models, you're going to look up porn. And that was kind of awful to say. Because Honestly. it should be in, imagine being a trans person who's really into art in high school and you want to draw people like you and that's what you have to look up. That's what you have for your basis of models because I googled every single fucking thing I could possibly think of trying to find a nude model or a silhouette or anything mm-hmm. and I found nothing that was working for me. And it makes you feel really bad for, like, just imagining, like, a trans 15-year-old in high school in art class and doing something like that and having to resort to that at 15 because that's not something Mm -hmm. we should be exposing people to at that age. Yeah, I mean, especially if um, once you get into high school, the bullying gets so much heavier, too. Oh, goodness gracious. And you have those kids also experiencing porn for the first time. And if you're getting bullied and all of a sudden those bullies know that trap porn, uh, parentheses around trap, exists, they're going to shove that down your throat even more. You have to deal with the bullying and then all of a sudden them discovering that the parentheses group that you're a part of, I guess the community Mm -hmm. you're a part of, that's what I was looking for, is this highly sexualized thing on the internet only imagine how bad that is oh my god exactly well and it's just like i i've taken part sometimes in doing uh and involving myself in the pornographic business and even as a trans man you have to go into certain groups and you have to put certain hashtags on your stuff otherwise you will get nothing but hate but in doing so you get a lot of very derogatory terms tossed around um like boy pussy is a really big thing that people like to use just that phrase Mm -hmm. kind of hurts me exactly because i know the context that it's being used in yep i've heard some people like on the internet use that as like just it's a proud way they use to express their body Mm -hmm. and i completely support them using that but imagine that's a hashtag for pornography yeah hurts me or like some completely cisgender guy saying that saying that to you oh. as he's trying to buy porn from you excuse you just, me as my dysphoria ruins me for the next lord knows how long exactly. thank you sir and so it's just a really big issue and so you look at all that trauma that builds up around the trans community and that trans people go through and it makes it that much more difficult to find out, okay, are people, is it possible for people to be trans because of trauma or is trauma just part of something? But during the study that she was doing, a lot of the transgender kids had not been through severe trauma. And so that was a big point that I looked at because a lot of them had had completely healthy lives they were in healthy family situations. Their parents made sure that they were going to only schools and classes that were properly taking care of them and weren't being um, 
sexist or transphobic in any way. And so, which like, can we just give a prop to the honestly, parents real quick here? Because it's scary like, being a parent of a trans kid, especially I can't if you've imagine. never experienced it before. Dude, we go. We should like give out like medals or something to accepting cis parents exactly. of trans kids or any queer kids for that matter, mm-hmm. but especially parents of with kids under the trans umbrella. Yes, because that is. There's so much like, struggle, and yeah. the fact that they put that much support and love into it is really amazing mm-hmm. because few people do. Exactly. But I think that that's a big point to look at is that a lot of those kids, even with no trauma, were still just as trans. And that's an odd phrase to say, <laughs> but, um, but that's a really big point to look at because that shows that even if you don't have trauma, because a lot of people associate trauma with being trans. That's just one of the sad parts about it, is that a lot of trans people have so much trauma or have so many mental disorders in their history and in their past that a lot of people associate that. But it goes to show that you do not need that trauma in order to be trans. Yes. Which is an important thing to note. Definitely, because so many people see it as that my bio father is one of them where Mm -hmm. he considers it something that it's kind of like a weird mental, it's like a bad mental thing that happened to you because so many bad things happened to you. And so this is your way of dealing with it and getting attention Mm -hmm. and a long list of other things. We will not go into that, but definitely has that negative opinion. And that that study proves that that's that's not it though. Exactly. I mean, they're studying them from the time they're three to twelve, so obviously that's not covering like what trauma they might go through as teenagers. But they made it up to twelve years old without trauma, which is and being trans an since amazing they were three. Feat, I might add. Yeah, exactly. And so that was just a really big. Um, mark in the studies of trans people but that goes to show that those people were definitely born trans I mean a three-year-old can't possibly look around at the media and go huh this is really stylish right now like that's that's not how it works they just want to play in the mud exactly Exactly. And so for a three-year-old to say, hey, I want to wear dresses or to get mad at you when you call them a boy, like that's a big show that they feel that way, not because of anything else, but uh, because it's something that they truly do feel. And I wish people would stop seeing uh, children coming out as that... um like coming out as trans and doing that kind of stuff as they're just confused because they're kids and stuff where it's like nope they're just as like they understand it just as much as your cis kids being like and I am in fact this Mm -hmm. we get it everyone gets it (laughs) exactly well and I think that's another thing that made it so difficult for me is because I didn't really start showing those gender-like differences until I was about 11 or 12. Which is a fascinating thing Mm -hmm. because comparing like you to me, from the time I was a kid, I always knew. I maybe not have had a word for it, 
-hmm. But like the signs were definitely there. I always knew that I wasn't 100% girl. Yeah. There was something else in there. I didn't know what it was, but it was there. Yeah. (laughs) Compared to you, who was like, nah, this is it. Wait. Oh, no, shit. It's not. Yeah. Yep. Um, So when I was 13, I actually went on to a LGBTQ club page on the Young Riders uh, Society or Association. It's a website. Um, and they had an LGBTQ plus page and I went on there originally just to learn about them because I grew up in Glen Rock, Wyoming, and then I was in Pryor, Montana, all the times being raised by very religious and or conservative people. And so I wanted to learn more about it because it wasn't a community that I knew very well. And so at 13, I'm sitting there talking to these people and reading uh, what they say about dysphoria and reading what they say about their identities. And it really clicked with me. And I'd never had that happen before. I had never had that moment where it clicked. Where at the same time, I remember, I think the closest thing I had to having that moment of, oh, I could be a different gender when I was really, really little is that Whereas all the other kids got like really weirded out by trans people or they would call them like their birth gender and stuff like that. Like, no, you're this. You're not that. You're this. I found them really fascinating. That's fair. I found them really fascinating and I wanted to know them more. But I didn't associate with them when I was younger. I just found this fascination and I found this want to be closer to them. And I found this want to talk to them or get to know them. I think that was the journalist in you. Probably. Honestly. Probably. Like I say this with all love of my heart, but that completely sounds like something young you would do. I want to learn more about you so I can understand. (laughs) Tell me your story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But um, the first time it ever really clicked, clicked was when I was 13. And when I was 14, I started playing around with it a little bit. And I was like, well, maybe I'm non-binary. And then I went, no, maybe I'm gender fluid. Um, And when I was 15, I had finally come out to my parents as something under the trans rainbow. I knew that had to do with gender. That was all I knew. And after a while, I got used to them calling me gender confused a little too much. And at 16, I was like, screw this, going back in the closet. And was just like, yeah, it was a phase. And I went through that entire year being pretty content with being where I was. I didn't really think about it. And then when I was 17, I went to take my friend out to dinner and I dressed up in a suit and I put my hair back into my hat and I looked in the mirror and I got this just rush of euphoria. And in that moment I was like, Maybe I am non-binary. Maybe I I was wrong. I had to be anything but a trans guy. Like, I spent months fighting that because I knew the medical stuff that went into it. I knew that I would have to tell my parents and I would have to tell my family. There's, there's like, a fear to that of fully coming out of the closet and it needs more trauma too and this may sound silly but i with a lot of my trans friends it mm-hmm. was i came out as non-binary or gender fluid first because even though coming out as that is scary mm-hmm. and should not be downplayed at all it felt less t- 
terrifying yeah. than being like, and so I'm trans. Yeah, because part of me was like, if I identify as non-binary, they can still use she, her pronouns. It doesn't have to completely change. It can just change a little bit. Everything can still be normal. Exactly. I can tell them, they can say okay, and then we can act like it never happened. And so when I finally came out as male, I remember I was with Bell that night and I told him that I thought I was a guy and I remember just sobbing for hours. And for the next two months, I was really emotionally unstable because I was like, I can't be a guy. This has to be something else. I have to be something else. Maybe I'm not getting a hold of something correctly. And one of the big things that kept me from fully coming out was the fact that I didn't feel it when I was younger. I would talk to other trans people and they would talk about how, yeah, you know, I always knew. I always knew. I remember when I was four. I remember when I was six. And I didn't have that. The confusion of being, if it being trauma-born, being mm-hmm. surrounded by people who were born born that way. Exactly. I can only imagine how just odd that was yeah kind of scary that sounds kind of scary yeah because it was like well maybe i am just doing this for the fat of it maybe i'm just doing this for attention you know and so there was a lot of self-doubt there was a lot of fear behind it and there was a lot of thinking maybe people won't believe me because people asked me when i knew that i was trans and i'd be like when i was 12 or 13 it wasn't like everyone else's answer where it was like, yeah, when I was five or when I was eight, you know. Most people's answer from what I've gathered is it's like, so I like officially, you know, came out of the closet when I was like, you know, young teenager, mm-hmm. et cetera. But like looking back, I'm like, ah, it, the, the, there was a sign on the door. The closet yep. was clear. Yeah. Uh, everyone could tell but me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and see, I didn't have that. And so it was really difficult when I finally figured out that I was a trans guy because I would listen to everyone else's stories of them knowing that, like, looking back and being like, yeah, I should have known when I was, like, four years old. And I look back and I'm like, no, I was was a normal girl. Like, it almost feels like a different person. Like, part of me is, like, I didn't even have a childhood. It's like, there was a little girl that was born, and at about 10 years old, she kind of just disappeared and I took over. It's kind of like DID. That's fair. Like, when when people talk about how DID personalities work and how, like, sometimes the ones will, like, go back and just get out of the way for a while, it's kind of like that. So it's kind of, um... One of my friends that I made Mm -hmm. was talking about this, where it's kind of like... The girl you were born as went dormant. Yeah. And you took over the body. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except it doesn't have that personality split. I still have all the memories. I still have all the personality traits. The same person, just... The gender was went a, dormant. It was like a Freaky Friday. I don't know what that means. Oh. I know. Ah, uh, I forget you were shielded from pop culture. I was. So, it's... Two spirits switched bodies, oh, essentially, okay. and so it's kind of like all of a sudden there was the like like a, like the, for lack of a better thing, boy, you existed, mm-hmm. and it was like, and I'm taking this spot now. It's mine. Yeah, exactly. But no, so it it reminds me a lot of the idea and the fact that it all feels very split. 
Like once I hit about 11, that's when I feel like male me really started. And female you was born, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah. And so it's very interesting comparing my experiences with other trans people's experience. I imagine. Because it's so drastically different. Mm -hmm. And I, I know I know a very small like a very small number of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and people who are under the rainbow. But from the amount of people I know, and even like just not in person, the amount of people I know online, I've never heard of a story like yours where yeah. it's like I had no idea, no signs. And then suddenly it was just Yeah, it there. kind of hit me like a brick wall out of nowhere. See, see, puberty is supposed to do that to you, mm-hmm. not gender. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and part of me kind of, this is another thing that I had, part of me kind of wonders if I didn't get the, because the way that boys work is, and this is how that tribe in South America works, so there's a tribe in South America where out of the like 200 boys that are born, uh, sorry, 200 girls that are born, about 75 of them will be males by the time they're fully grown. And so what happens is in utero, you get a big surge of testosterone and that determines that you are a boy. And then once you hit puberty, you get another big surge of testosterone and that's what finishes all of that up. So basically fetus, testosterone becomes boy. Uh, Grows up, puberty becomes becomes man. man. Yes. Okay. Um, And so, what happens is these girls won't get that surge of testosterone in utero. It's not enough to actually determine it. And so they come out and they'll be a girl and they'll always act a little different. All the parents will be like, yeah, I always knew, but they raise them as a girl anyways until they hit puberty. And then that second surge of testosterone. And it's enough to finally finish. They're all sterile. Every single one of them. That would make sense. They don't. They, yep. they weren't born with the equipment. But it's very interesting because once that surge of testosterone hits in puberty, their clit grows to the dick, and their balls drop, and so they they literally will grow like the male genitalia too. That is fascinating. It is. And also must be terribly confusing. Well, I mean, but I mean, it's I'm, normal in their culture. That's fair. If it, it is normal in their culture, mm-hmm. and so it's just something that happens. It can happen to you. We won't know until you're older. Yeah, exactly. But I'm just imagining that for, like, someone who somehow got those genes. I know it's only in that tribe. Mm-hmm. But someone, in, like, here yeah. somehow getting those genes, hitting, like, puberty, and all of a sudden it's like... A, yeah, that is closest, not supposed to be the there. The closest that I have seen of that is there was a girl who she hit puberty and all of her friends started getting their periods and then she hit 19 and she still wasn't getting one. And so the doctors took her in and found out that she actually didn't have a uterus at all. What she had was testicles that were in the same spot as her ovaries would be. That is fascinating. And so basically, so she had an... XXY chromosome and so she had the two X's and so it gave her the full look of the female but she also got that surge of testosterone from the Y chromosome so instead of getting uterus she got all the boy equipment but on the inside exactly and so she basically had undropped testicles that were in the same spot her ovaries should have been 
That is so cool. I would love to look into her mm-hmm. and like her history more. Yeah. That sounds like a cool project. That's the closest thing I've ever found to that tribe existing in the other world. But it also makes me question because 11 is, no, 10 is when I started getting my period. So that means that 11 is when those really big hormone surges of puberty start hitting. Yeah. So part of me wonders if it could have been trauma related or if it might have just been a weird hormone problem that didn't hit me in utero. But it hit you in puberty. In puberty. I've never thought about that, which brings a third question, like a third side to this topic. Mm-hmm. Is it trauma born? Is it born born? Or is it just weird ass genetics? Yeah. That suddenly yeah. hits you out of nowhere. It could be, it could, so it would basically be trauma born, uh, born born, or it would be um, uh, basically like a lack of in utero hormones. Yeah. Okay, so, so trauma born, born born, lack of utero hormones. Yep. And I, that brings in a whole third side of it. Exactly. This is gonna be. I think this is gonna be a topic that sticks with us for a while. I agree. It'll probably end up being a blog post at some point, so we can organize our thoughts a little more around it. I apologize if this is just like a bunch of weird rambles around the same topic. We're trying to make sense. I promise. Yes. Yes. Agreed. Um, but no. So that's another side of it that I was thinking about too. And um, that tribe actually reminded me of it because the whole reason that that tribe has that is because in utero those hormones do not hit. But that would also raise the question, if that is the case, would we be sterile like those people? This is a very interesting question. I would like to ask your permission to bring up a couple of sensitive topics yep, from your you past, are, if that's totally good. totally good. I know you've had a couple of pregnancy scares in the past mm-hmm. that all ended from in various forms of miscarriage. Yeah. In theory that it is this lack of utero hormones, mm-hmm. could can one still be sterile but get pregnant and just constantly miscarriage? And could that, yeah, that possibly so, be... I'm not saying that is what's happening no, to you. No, you're good. Um, so if the issue was an in utero hormone issue, then it could also be possible that that genetic carried through into me and then basically became worse. So mother, lack of hormones, but she still has the baby. The gender and sexuality within it, though, is just kind of screwed up from those hormones. However, baby gets an even worse side of not being able to produce those hormones and doesn't even produce enough for baby to live. So that could be one side of it. It could also be that in during puberty, if my body was trying to figure out what to do with all these weird hormones it was suddenly getting, um, there are also phantom pregnancies that you can have. I have and no so, idea what that means. Um, so a phantom pregnancy, it's something that happens a lot in women that had an, an actual traumatic pregnancy that ended in a very traumatic miscarriage. Um, they will have phantom pregnancies where they will go months without a period. They will get morning sickness. They will grow in size, but there will be nothing in there. 
Oh, I've seen stories about this on the internet. And mm-hmm. there's this one woman who she's had a phantom pregnancy for like two years. Yeah. And she swears up one side and down the other that there is a baby in exactly. there. Exactly. But they can't find it. And she's just this very pregnant thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's another thing that I could look into is doctors can see. So your uterus, once you have been pregnant, there will be little spots on it that will show where the egg actually attached. Oh, that's cool. And so they can't actually prove if you've been pregnant before. It's like you got little tattoos from having a baby. Exactly. But on the inside, that's cool. Mm -hmm. And so it could also be worth a look to see if I ever actually was pregnant and if it was just phantom pregnancies that my body was like, actually, you're not actually pregnant and then resulted in what my body would consider a miscarriage. Because the first time it happened, I had a nine day long, really bad period. It was all heavy bleeding. I had such bad cramps that I would lay on my floor, on my hands and knees for hours. Like it was very bad. The cramps were to the point where they would be considered small contractions. And after that, my period was never the same. Um, Each miscarriage would get worse. And so that could also be a thing where I am actually fully sterile, but during that surge of all of those weird hormones hitting me. Body goes, we technically have the equipment though. Mm -hmm. We might be. We should act like we are just in case. Yeah. Because we we may be wrong. And it could have also been, I mean, an egg could have been fertilized. My body could have been like, we need to get ready for this. And then egg just washed out instead of attaching. Yeah. And then body was like, we we have baby. Maybe we don't. Maybe we do. Let's just flush it out just in case. <laughs> and so there's a body few... Body decorates house for baby. Baby doesn't come. House, the body throws out all decorations. Yeah. That was yeah. kind of confusing, but it was a funny no, meme no, once. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> but um, that is another option that could have definitely happened. Like if I'm fully sterile, then that is one way. And then the other option would be that I just don't have the hormones to keep a full pregnancy. This is crazy to think about this podcast did not go in like in any of the direction i thought it was going to go no no at not all, at all. <laughs> so but that's just a few things to look into and those are things that i mean we would have to there would have to be a full study 100 um on more people who would be concerned who would be like hey you know i uh didn't figure out that i was trans or have any signs until i hit puberty and then, and then be a study on that, uh, mm-hmm. like that group of people, like they did with those kids. Exactly. Except Another for thing, do genetics and stuff, and there would be a lot more in there. Another thing that would make it a little difficult in testing the sterile uh, part, though, is everyone starting on hormones. Oh, I didn't even think of mm-hmm. that. Right, testosterone does kind of test. The world's best birth control. Oh yeah, and estrogen does the same to men. Really? Yeah. I never, I actually I mean, never thought about it from the guy side of things. Yeah, so um, Alina, like, Alina is a trans friend of mine. Um, so she, once she started estrogen, basically everything kind of shrivels. It's a lot harder to make work, which is something they warn you when taking testosterone too, because testosterone can make you dry up down there. I didn't know it was possible to dry up down there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but that I've would learned be one of the issues we could that could be ran into with that kind of study. 
Okay, and so, so far on the list, we have the starting topic, Traumaborn or Bornborn, how do we know? And then we have Traumaborn, Bornborn, or lack of utero hormones, which has now gotten into a really cool idea for a study. Um, yes. I doubt that any cool scientist, doctor, person is listening to this, but if you are... Honestly... Please contact us. We yes. have many ideas, and I, I, is this even does, would this even work? Yeah, and how how to test it? What kind of groups you would need? Because obviously, you can't just test one group. You have to test multiple. You have to have uh, groups to base it off of. Yeah. This. Um, so, how would you like to make the next? many years of your life this one subject <laughs> I have a yeah. proposition for you I mean if I go into a master's degree that right I mean, yes yes so, that is something to keep in mind however um, I do believe that we hit all of our topics yeah um, but yeah so that's just been something that we have been thinking about a lot and discussing a lot lately and now it's something you can sit with and think with yeah. and talk about with your friends and peers if you were in such accepting groups exactly and please leave comments if you guys have any more theories if you guys have anything where you're like hold on this didn't make sense what did you mean here and we can explain it more in detail for you theories questions ideas little if anything was offensive at all too please yes let us know. please we would like to better ourselves exactly. in any way possible me being a trans person i'm not offended by much um and i know that there are some trans people that are a lot more sensitive to that kind of stuff so if there's anything i said that could offend even people within my community please let me know so that i don't do so <laughs> yep. leave lots of comments guys talk to us we love to hear from you honestly and join us next week i think next week we are going to be talking about slug sex episode of our podcast i'm pretty sure no one can understand how excited we are about finally talking to people about this honestly it is such an interesting topic you guys it, you have no idea how beautiful and cool and how much i wish that humans could have sex like slugs do honestly so and uh yeah, we will be diving into that. Keep a lookout for my blog post coming out tomorrow. It is on the website at www.whenyougivethequeersamike.org. And make sure you look out for that YouTube video. We will make sure to post if we are not doing it so you guys aren't like awaiting something that isn't going to happen. I wouldn't do that to you. I love you too much. Exactly. So we will post on Twitter if you guys need to look for that or not at the queer mic. And yeah, that is it for this podcast. We will see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.